Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So what is my purpose? Right? That's the question that all of us wrestle with. I mean, that really is kind of the question. Like, what is my purpose? What on earth am I here for? What is the reason that all of this exists? What is my purpose? We all wrestle with that. Remember when we were kids? When we were kids, we had things called dreams. Do you guys remember those? Dreams? Right, we wanted to be veterinarians and, and rescue animals. Or, or maybe we wanted to um, be firefighters or policemen or football players or ballerinas. We all had dreams, aspirations, ambitions, goals. And so how did that work out? For most of us, probably not so well. So the reason being is that at each stage of life, as it changed, our purpose changed as well. And so we're still left asking this question of what is my purpose? This question has confused and confounded people, not just you and me, but people for thousands of years. We've all wrestled with this question of what is my purpose? purpose. And the reason being is that I believe that we're starting with the wrong premise. That we're asking the question as, what is my purpose? Now, if you were to ask, you know, self-help, pop psychology, or Ellen, then they would tell you that your purpose, to find it, you need to look within yourself. But we know that doesn't work because we've tried it. We spent all the money, bought all the books, and still here we are, still searching, asking, looking for our purpose. And the reason being you won't find it there is because you did not create yourself, so you can't tell yourself what you were created for. So that still leaves us with this question, what is my purpose? I believe we start with the wrong premise because we ask questions like, it's mine, my dreams, my ambitions, my goals. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? See, we start in the wrong place. See, we start self-centered. See, the Bible talks a lot about purpose, but when it does so, it doesn't refer to it as being exclusively yours, but rather that it belongs to God. And that in God, he invites us to participate with him in his purpose using our passions to further his mission. See, when the Bible talks about purpose, it does so, and it uses a word like mission. Okay, and so maybe that's a better question. Instead of asking my purpose, we should ask ourselves, what is my mission? Now, when we continue our series called together today, that's the subject that we're going to be wrestling with, is what is this mission that God has called us together for? And so when you think of the word mission, typically different things come to mind. You know, maybe because we're in church, you think of the word mission, what's the first thing that comes up to your mind? missionaries. Like you go there. Like that's the first thought. Of course, it's got to be missionaries because we're in church. That has to be the answer. And so for you, you think missionaries. Those are the people who sell all their possessions. They move across the country. They learn a foreign language. They move across the world. They're never to be seen or heard of again. So you think missionaries. Those are the people that, you know, super religious, the overly Christian, the really devoted. So mission is only for those people. So that's what you're thinking. Maybe some of you, you know, you're, you're thinking like action films, war stories, spy novels. Like we have a mission. And for you, that's what you think of. It's like we have a mission that we have to accomplish. Or maybe you think of like old white guys in suits, like sitting around a board meeting, trying to figure out the perfect mission statement. And they're wordsmithing and they're trying to figure out what it means. And so whatever you think of when we say the word mission really kind of determines where we're going. And so what is this mission or what is this purpose? Here at Redemption, you'll hear us say mission all the time, that we speak about mission. We challenge you to live on mission. We even have missional communities. And so we use this word all the time. So what do we mean as a church when we use the word mission? How can we help define it? Well, this is how we say it here at Redemption. I say it every single week. If you've been here before, you know it. If it's your first time or you're new, well, this is what we exist for. This is why we do what it is that we do. So if you throw that up there, this is the reason redemption exists. To join God in the renewal of all things. So it's God's purpose. We're going to participate with him in the renewal of all things. That's the big picture. It's the big vision. What would your life look like in renewal of all things? What would this city look like in the renewal of all things? That all things we brought to life, all things we brought into peace and grace. So we partner with God in bringing peace and grace to all things. How do we accomplish that? By making disciples who make disciples. 
So that's the mission. Make disciples who make disciples. And even in that, there is an implicit ex- uh, expectation of multiplication on all of our lives. That we live all of our lives, exist as a church to make disciples who make disciples. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today as we kind of unpack this section of scripture for us today. So um, I want it to be super practical, very easy for all of us to follow along, because if we're going to learn how to live in our everyday lives for his purpose, accomplishing his mission by using our passions, then we need to put some handles on this. So that way we can make it portable so we can all carry it and live it out in our day-to-day life. And so what I want to do is I have a clever wordplay for you today. So we're going to make it super simple, all right? So if you got your pen, you got some notes, you're ready, you're ready, you're eager to take some, okay. So one person is, that's good. Um, so here's it, here it is. No, go, do, show, all right? That's it. No, go, do, show. That's what I want you to know today, all right? So I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to go where Jesus leads. Then we're going to do what Jesus says. And then we're going to show the world everything that Jesus has done in our lives. So no, go, do, show. It's really not that clever because I couldn't figure out what to do with the word do. So um, it doesn't rhyme. But if you figure one out, just keep it to yourself. Don't tell me. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 16. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. We have it up on the screen. You can turn in your fake Bibles on your phone, or if you're, you, know, you got one of those analog Bibles, you can bust that out too. And so we're going to be in Matthew 28, 16. So if you have ever been to church before, you went to Sunday school, you had a praying grandma, then you've probably heard this section of scripture before. This is known as the Great Commission. This is the very last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. So these are the last words. By this time, the the disciples have hung out with Jesus for about three years now. And so they've witnessed all of his ministry. They saw his baptism. They saw the the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove and the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. They witnessed all of his miracles from the water to wine to the healing of the blind. They saw him hanging out with tax collectors and and prostitutes and rebuking the Pharisees. They, They saw him arrested, beaten, bloody, hung on a Roman cross. And they even witnessed his resurrection. And after his resurrection, Jesus hung out with them for yet still another 40 days. So during this 40-day period, Jesus hung out with them, taught them, ate with them, prayed with them. And so this is the very last thing that Jesus says before he ascends to the Father. So how many of you guys know last words are important, right? Last words are very important. Recently, my pappy passed away. And whenever me and Ashley were at the hospital, and while he was hooked up to the machines, he was very weak. And we went and visited him in the hospital. We prayed, we cried, we, we talked to him. And whenever he would try to speak, it was his last words. So we leaned in and we listened because we wanted to know what were the last words that he was going to say to us so we could cherish that moment, so we could live it in our lives. So these are Jesus' last words. So what I want us to do is I want us to lean in and I want us to listen to what Jesus is telling us to do with our lives. We're all wondering what to do with our lives. And so this is what Jesus is gonna say to us. And so in Matthew 28, 16, this is how it starts. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Let's pause there for a sec. We all fall into these two categories, right? Some worshiped and some doubted. And all of us in this room, we either fall into these two categories, some worship and some doubt. And if I could be completely honest, sometimes we fall into both categories at the same time, where we worship, but yet we still have doubts. This is where I was at 10 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus. I I was jacked up. I I didn't know a whole lot. Uh, I had my reservations. I had my opinions. I had my doubts. But all I knew is that Jesus saved me and that Jesus loves me. And so I said, okay, God, I don't know everything, but I'm just going to follow you and see where this takes me. And so I opened up my Bible. I started reading. And by the end of that year, the Bible was reading me. 
And it changed my life. It changed my perceptions. And so while I still journeyed with Jesus and still had my doubts, I can tell you what, following this, I have never been disappointed nor let down. So when you're in doubt or when you're in worry or you are unsure or insecure, follow Jesus and see where it takes you. You will not be disappointed. And the disciples saw this as they gathered around Jesus. Some worshiped, some doubted. And Jesus came to them and this is what he said. He said, all authority in heaven and earth belong to me. So he says, all authority. How much authority is that redemption? All authority. Yeah, that's a lot, right? That means everything in heaven and earth has been given to me. Heaven and earth, when you think that, think biblical ways of saying everything. That everything belongs to Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That it belongs to him. He is ruler. He is king. He is God. He is supreme. And Jesus is saying it all belongs to me. This is a bold claim. The philosopher and theologian Abraham Kuyper says it this way. There is not one square inch of this universe that God does not declare as mine. And this is Jesus making this bold claim. Who speaks with this authority? Who speaks with this kind of power? Who speaks in this way? His name is Jesus Christ. And he is God. The first thing we need to know is that who Jesus is. We need to know and we need to understand who it is that Jesus has, has come to be revealed as, that he is revealed as God, okay? And so a lot of people, we believe in Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus, but not everybody knows who Jesus is. I'm talking about like following Jesus, serving Jesus, loving Jesus, not just kind of having some mental ascent of information, but rather experiencing real, authentic, genuine life transformation. Some people, especially here in Southeast Texas, we were all most likely raised in church or had church experience. And so there's still this sort of muscle memory when it comes to faith. You just know 1030, that's the holy hour. I go to church or somebody else is going to church. And so we have this muscle memory when it comes to things of faith. And we can even tell you a lot about Jesus. We can tell you the ABCs of salvation. We can tell you the Romans road. And we have a lot of information, but we have not experienced authentic, genuine life transformation by the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at around our city, when we look at our friends, at our families, at our neighbors, we can see that there are still people that are hurting, that are broken, and need life changed through the power of the gospel. But sometimes we can get so caught up into our everyday lives that we miss out on all the opportunities that God is doing around us. Now, because we are in Southeast Texas, we assume that everyone knows who Jesus is. But that's not the case. That's not how it works. I'm, I'm sure if we were to hop in our cars and we were to drive down to Parkdale Mall and we were to walk around or we were to go to brunch at Luke's, right? I am willing to bet you that nine out of 10 people, if you ask them, do you believe in God? Nine out of 10 people will say, yes, I believe in God. See, it's not a big deal for people to believe in God. People say, I believe in God all the time. Even if you run into agnostics and, and you ask them, they say, I believe in a God possibly, but we can't determine who he is. And so people believe in God. It's not a big deal to talk about God. And so we see this even break down into Christian culture, okay? And so we ask people, would you say that you're a Christian? And most people around here would say, I self-identify as a Christian because we're raised in Texas and it's the cowboy belt buckle on the Bible belt, okay? So everyone here is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if we were to look at it by the numbers, that not everybody actually who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, Okay? So a lot of people kind of hurt and burned by the church. You know, they'll talk about Brendan Manning. They'll kind of identify with what he says. Is that the number one reason for unbelief in the world is not through skepticism, but by Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their mouth, but deny him with their life. So maybe you fit into that. But the flip side of the coin is those who profess faith in Christ and they just kind of do whatever they want. All right, so if we just look at it by the numbers, some of us in this room, claim to be Christians and are not. Typically, just by following by the numbers. Let's just look at it, okay? Throw the numbers up there. This is what authentic Christianity looks like. So we're in a series, Living the Authentic Christian Life. All right, so do you know there are fakers, okay? All right, so look, listen to this. 65% of people who claim to be Christians, these are evangelical Christians, polled by USA Today and the Wall Street Journal. 65% of Christians, evangelicals, rarely pray. 
rarely pray. 38% never pray. So you mean you're like, you have a personal relationship with somebody you don't talk to? Oh, wow, okay. Well, cool. So me and Donald Trump are hanging out later. All right? So 65%, let me fix my hair. 65% never attend church. All right? So 65% don't even bother being connected into a faith family. Right? How would it be a part? I'm a part. This is my family. Oh, I don't ever talk to them, though. No. 67% don't read the Bible. 50% do not believe that Jesus is the only way. And 40% don't even bother sharing their faith with others. So you mean I have good news, but I keep it to myself. Right? I, I, I don't even understand how this passes in our day and age, in our culture. Because what you get and what we see is that there are three types of Christians. Okay, There are consumer Christians, there are cultural Christians, and then there are convictional Christians. All right? So who are we going to be as a church? convictional Christians, the one who have a conviction because we know who Jesus is. We know what Jesus has done, that Jesus has set us free, that Jesus has saved us. And if he can change me, he can change you. And so we're going to take the faith. We're going to know who Jesus is. We're going to show what Jesus has done. And we're going to share it to the lost and the hurting world around us. Because Jesus, this is who Jesus is. Okay, he's not just some guy who lived a long time ago and did some cool stuff. No, like Jesus is God. Entered into this world on a mission that he has come to seek and to save the lost. That all of this world was broken and fractured through sin. And that God stood at the edge of heaven and stepped down, entered into this world with flesh on. That he lived the life just like you and I, but in every way did it the way we could not do. That he lived without sin and he died a painful death in your place. So that on the cross you could receive his grace, his mercy, his freedom, his redemption, and his salvation. And that through the resurrection of Jesus, he overcome death on our behalf as he ascended into heaven. Now he prays for you. Think about this. The God of the universe is interceding on your behalf. That he is praying for you before the Father so you might be declared righteous because of his works, not because of yours. This is who Jesus is. Okay, so he's not just some guy who did a lot of stuff a long time ago, a good philosopher or a moral teacher. Jesus is God. He came to earth that we might be saved. So we need to know who Jesus is. And this is the best question we can ask. Maybe flip it. Instead of saying, do you believe in God? Ask this question. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Because that really changes the question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? If he is Lord, every square inch of the universe is also you and me and them. And God is saying, mine. Is Jesus Lord of your life? We need to know who Jesus is. And when we know who Jesus is, he tells us to go. He gives us a purpose. He gives us a reason. And this is what Jesus tells the disciples as we continue in 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Could you imagine what the disciples would be thinking at this time? All right, he says all nations. Like, that's a lot. That's the whole world. Back in those days, you couldn't just travel places. The disciples are probably thinking like, Jesus, they haven't even invented cars or airplanes yet. Like, how are we going to go to all nations? The average person at that time probably never traveled more than 100 miles in their life. So that's about from like here to Houston. And that's as far as they go. And so Jesus is saying, all nations? Really? That's impossible. That's impractical. Like, how are we going to do that? Are we doing it today? 2,000 years later, here we are, downtown Beaumont. Yeah, we're making it to all nations, all right? So here we are, downtown Beaumont. And I'll tell you this, the reason being is because 11 men were faithful to the call of Jesus. That Christianity started as a movement with 11 men, just 11 men who are saying, God, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. 11 men have left a legacy that we stand on the shoulders of these faithful men. See, Christianity is a movement of multiplication, it started with 11 and has grown to 3 billion people in this world. Some estimate that over the last 2,000 years since Jesus gave this commission, 110 billion people have professed faith in Christ. And so this call is still going forward. So if you follow Jesus, you too are a disciple. You stand in the legacy of these 11. And so the call is for you to make disciples. It's not just written in this book, but rather it's written in our hearts. That command, that call to go. And so the text renders here, as it says go, what it actually means is as you go. 
And so some of you, you're going to hear this, and today you're going to say, God is calling me to the foreign nations. God is calling me to the world. I am going. And that's awesome. That's great. If that's you, let me know. We'll send you. We'll train you. We'll send you to wherever it is that God is calling you to go. But for the rest of us, what does this mean? This is where the as you go, make disciples really meets the road with us. With us. And the reason being is that we all have a life. That we all have a day in, day out living. So whatever it looks like for you, whether you're a college kid or a single mom with kids, whether you work a nine to five, whether you wait tables, how do we go? What does it mean for us to go? And I think that it's in this moment, in this word is pregnant with all sorts of meaning. Okay, because this word go, this is where we get that, what is my purpose? What is my passion? What is the reason that all of this exists? And so that moment in your life, do you guys know it? Like freshman year of college and you're like freaking out, you're stressed and you're like, oh no, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Change majors three times. That's what I'm going to do. And so you change your majors, you graduate, maybe you land a job where you just grind away day in, day out, no passion, no purpose. You wake up and you're 30 years old and you're wondering, who am I? And you have that panic, you have that cold sweat, that pit in your stomach. What is my purpose? And you continue on through life and you're 60 and you wake up and you look back and you're wondering, did I waste my life? That question that we all wrestle with, that tension, begs the, the question, what is my purpose? What is my reason? That knot in your stomach, what that is, is the unredeemed go in your life. That you have been created for a purpose. That you were created for a passion. You were created for a reason. That there is meaning and existence to all of this. That panic that we all experience, that longing for meaning is the unredeemed go in our lives. See, what we tend to do is we tend to pour ourselves into pursuits and pleasures and chasing passions and asking what is my purpose. And we pour ourselves into things, whether it's people or places, to be honest, that in a hundred years won't even matter. Collecting stuff. It could be hobbies, it could be friends, it could be families, it could be kids or seeking money. We pour ourselves into things that we're, to be honest, in a hundred years, it's all gonna be forgotten. And it's not gonna matter very much. And why do we panic? Why do we stress? Why does it cause so much anxiety? This is what Jesus says when we're storing our treasure on earth, when he tells us to store it in heaven. I'm going to let you in on a little secret redemption. Do you know what the only thing you can take with you to heaven is? Do you know what the only thing you can take to heaven is? Other people. It's other people. This is why we do what we do. That God has given you that go to love others, to serve others. God has given you that go to spread his fame and, and to tell people about Jesus and to come alongside of others and to walk with them in their everyday life. That God has given us this great go to tell the world that Jesus saves and not just to waste it on ourselves. That's the unredeemed go in all of our lives. So Jesus is saying, you have a purpose. You have a passion. Don't waste it. Use it for my glory and the good of others. And this is what it means for God to call us to go. So what is the mission to make disciples? What is the purpose of all of our lives to make disciples? To tell people who Jesus is and to invite them to share life with you and to, to love God and to love others and to be obedient which leads us to the next point, which means how do we make disciples? How do we know if somebody became a disciple, right? What does that even mean? He tells us to do what Jesus says. So the third thing we need to know is to do what Jesus says. And this is what it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys excited for baptisms? Yeah, <laughs> baptisms today. So God in his providence, I plan these series out months in advance, months in advance. I mean, I'm already planning through halfway next year, okay? So God in his providence knew today we're going to be preaching on baptism. So it's pretty awesome that we get to practice what we preach, right, Redemption? I love it. And so baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one way. The other way is to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here's how we can know if somebody is experiencing real, genuine, authentic life change through Christ, is that they do what he says. 
All right, so the first way we can tell is through baptism. And then the second way is through obedience. So first is baptism. I love baptisms, all right? So it's like in the six months of our church existence, baptism Sunday, my favorite day. So there's a picture of me um, baptizing my friend Keely. All right, she serves as a photographer here. And when I dunked her and she came back up, I had the biggest, stupid, goofiest looking grin on my face. I loved it. So I love baptisms. And one of the reasons why baptisms are so important to us is because while it's difficult for us to be able to tell who gave their life to Jesus by raising their hand or filling out a card, we can count wet people, right? So we can say like, they're wet, so they got saved. So that's good, praise God. Here at Redemption, we, if you've been hanging out with us for a while, you, you might notice that we don't do a lot of altar calls, okay? So we don't do altar calls here. Maybe eh, occasionally I'll, you slip your hand up as a sign of faith, but by and large, I just preach the Bible and see what sticks. That's pretty much how we operate around here. And so while we can't tell by people who raise their hand, pray a prayer, walk an aisle, well, we can tell and we can count Life changed through baptisms. And so I love baptisms. And so if you have not been baptized, today's your day. Let's dunk you under some water. It's going to be great. The other thing is, is that the Bible knows nothing of a Christian that is not baptized. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized. Baptism is a command for Christians. And so we see here, it's a command of Jesus to be baptized. 3,000 people in one day baptized. And every account through the book of Acts, when a personal conversion happened, they got baptized. And so baptism is a public display before all of the world to let me, let the world know that I love Jesus, that I have decided to follow Jesus, that I am on Jesus's team and that Jesus has changed my life. And I want everybody to know that I love Jesus. That's what baptism is. And so for a Christian to say, I don't know, the Bible speaks nothing of that. And so for baptism, baptism is like a Christian without being baptized, like a wife without a wedding. And so baptism is your big celebration before all the family to let the world know that I belong to Jesus. And so we would love for you to be baptized. Now, listen, baptism does not save us, okay? We're not saved through baptism, but because we are saved, we get baptized as a public statement. Now, some of us, we were baptized when we were children, maybe baptized when you're a baby or you're parents or a a good, well-intentioned family member said, you got to get baptized. But really, that's not baptism, okay? Because you had no choice in that. You didn't decide that I have given my sins to Jesus, that he has forgiven me, and I want to go public with my faith. You didn't have a decision in that, or maybe you didn't understand what that is. And so baptism for us is a publicly identifying with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. It's saying like this. It's saying that in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection, okay, that I am publicly identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so other ways it says like this, that my old man has been crucified and laid into that watery grave, and my new man has been raised to new life in Christ. That's what baptism is. And so we would love for you to follow and obey by being baptized. And so we can count that. And that's a wonderful, joyous celebration. So one way we can do what Jesus says is by being obedient and following him in baptism. Now, if you are like, ah, I didn't bring any stuff. Don't worry, we got you covered. We got shirts, we got towels, we got all that stuff. So we want you to be obedient in that. We've created the opportunity. We would love to celebrate with you. The next thing we can do by being obedient in baptism, we can also be obedient with just doing what Jesus says. And so um, Jesus is known for two ways. First, he's known by his words, and then he's also known by his works. John Calvin calls this the holy knot, okay? So next time you're tying your shoe, think about this, that God's words, God's works, all right? So first is God's works, right? So Jesus performed miracles. Jesus hung out with, you know, tax collectors, prostitutes. Jesus said, let the children come to me, hang out with me. And so what Jesus is known for of his works. Now, people don't have a problem with Jesus's works, People are like, okay, cool, Jesus' works. Jesus did a lot of awesome stuff. And so people still want his miracles. That's why people who might not believe in God still pray to him when they're in a bind. 
because they still just want to stuff, okay? And so we're like, Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. We're just crying out, running through the list. Please, somebody, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who can help the most? And so we're just saying, come on, whatever, I'll take it. See, people don't have a problem with Jesus's works. Jesus was not crucified because of his works. Jesus was crucified because of his words. It was his words that really challenged people. Okay, so when Jesus started off, his first sermon was to repent, to repent. He called people to come and to lay down their sins and to follow him. And even in this text, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth belong to me. When Jesus was being crucified, they brought him before Pontius and they said, why are you doing this? And they said, because you, a man, claim to be God. Jesus was not crucified because of his works. Rather, he was crucified because of his words. Jesus, a mere man, claimed to be God. All authority, heaven and earth. If you believe this, then you do this. If every square inch also includes me, then we follow what he says. Then we do what Jesus says to do. That's what it means for us to be a disciple. That all of our lives are submitted under his lordship and serving him on his mission. Okay, so a disciple is one who does what Jesus says. Now, a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, and they got a lot of letters after the name, have written tons of books on the subject of discipleship, okay? So what I'm gonna try to do is synthesize 2,000 years worth of church history, dead guys, philosophers, and theologians. All right, I'm gonna synthesize all of that for us here in one sentence, you ready? Discipleship is this, listen to Jesus, and do what he says. That's it. Just to listen to Jesus and then do what he says. So a lot of us think discipleship's a class. Like I gotta sign up for that. No, 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 no. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you entered into your discipleship. Discipleship's not a class. It's not a program. It's not a word study. It's not a book. Discipleship is a relationship. Discipleship is saying, um, this is something that Jesus is teaching me can I share it with you? And then let's go do it together. That's discipleship. It's really simple. Like we make it so complicated. The church has complicated things for years. It's really easy. You just listen to Jesus and do what he says. Now, it's easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Let me restate that. It's very simple, but it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not easy to, to obey. How many of you guys woke up this morning and you're like, I hope I hear the sermon on obedience. I love it. No, no, because nobody likes to obey. Obey? What's that? I never, I'm not going to do that. What do you mean I'm wrong? What do you mean my opinions? What do you mean? Like, I just don't get to just go do whatever I want. I don't want to do that. Listen, if you want to be different, if you want to be countercultural, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be a rebel, here's what you need to do. Read your Bible and do what it says. Like, nobody does that. Nobody, nobody does that. And if you want to make a statement, right, follow Jesus. Okay, we looked at the stats already, right? Yeah. Not a lot of people doing that. Not anymore, at least. So you want to be different? Be a disciple. Follow Jesus and, and do what Jesus says for us to do. And the reason why nobody likes obedience is firstly because obedience starts with repentance. It's just saying that, Jesus, I have not lived as I ought to. I have not done the things that I was supposed to do, that all of my life was bent in on my purpose, my passions, my reasons, my existence, that I've lived for myself. Martin Luther says all of our life is bent inwards. It's not straight. It's crooked. And so repentance is coming to Jesus and saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And God's saying, I forgive you. I give you a new life in a new way. See, obedience starts with repentance, and repentance is often met with resistance. See, I'll give you an example from my own life, and I've probably told you guys this before. When I first got saved, it was about nine, I got saved 10 years ago, so I've been a Christian for about a year now. And so me and Ashley and some of our other friends, we all formed a missional community. And, um, and in that, um, me and Ashley weren't married at the time, and I had a good friend of mine and he came up to me after one of our gatherings and we were hanging out and he came up to me and he said, he said, Byron, and we were both new Christians reading our Bibles. And he said, Byron, I was reading in 2 Corinthians and it says sex outside of marriage is sin. 
and I started running through all the justifications in my mind that I have created and built up. I say, no, 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 I can do this because we're already married in our hearts or, you know, because God just forgives me anyway. So I came up with all these justifications for why I could continue to live the way that I did. And when I read the Bible, to be honest, parts of it bummed me out. Like parts of it frustrated me. But then I realized it wasn't frustration, it was conviction. That I was not living as I ought to. And so he came to me and he said, not just you need to stop. What he said is, I'm sleeping with mine, and I know you're sleeping with yours. We should stop, and we should stop together. At that moment, I was like, busted. (laughs) You're right. And so I had a choice. Do I follow Jesus and do what he says, or just keep making my own way? Now, what I was doing wasn't working, and so I took the step, and I listened and obeyed. And so me and that guy... We decided to follow Jesus and honor him within our relationships. And within a year, me and Ashley got married and his girlfriend broke up with him. But God blessed his obedience because now his amazing wife abandoned Austin. They're awesome, still my best friend. And God has blessed obedience. God blessed our obedience. God blessed his obedience because God blesses obedience. And so while it may be challenging, while it may be frustrating, while it may be difficult, It's worth it to listen and obey. And so this is what it means for us to be a disciple. And so now that we are a disciple, now we follow Jesus, what does Jesus ask for us to do? He says, go into all the world. And so this is what we need to know. We need to know who Jesus is, right? We need to go where Jesus leads. We need to do what Jesus says. And the last thing we need to to do, what I want you to know is that we have to show the world what Jesus has done. That we have to show others what Jesus has done in our lives. It's not enough for us just to keep it to ourselves. If this truly is good news, we have to let the world know that Jesus has saved us, that Jesus has changed us, that he has defeated death, Satan, and sin, and that we have overcome because of Jesus. And so last thing Jesus says, and he says, Behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that amazing? I love this part, that God doesn't just save us and leave us, right? that he is with us. He doesn't just save us and say, hey, best of luck. I hope you make it. Maybe, maybe not. I'll see you at the rapture, whatever. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you're going on a mission and I'm going with you. You have a purpose and I gave it to you. And I'm gonna make sure that we follow that thing to completion, and that Jesus is with us. How is Jesus with us? When we come to sharing our faith, there needs to be a sense of fearlessness and boldness in sharing our faith. And the reason being is because we have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And some people would say, if Jesus was with me, then it would all be better. Let me tell you this. That the Holy Spirit is the promise of God. And Jesus said, it's better that I go so that you can have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do his work and to be his witness. And so if you become a Christian, you ask Jesus to forgive you, he fills you with his Holy Spirit. And so this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we get down into the nitty gritty, the practical day in, day out, living the authentic Christian life. How do we accomplish all of this stuff? So what I want to do for us is put some handles on it. I want to give you five tools for you to be able to live the authentic Christian life. So we all got work to do. If you know someone who does not know Jesus, you got work to do, right? If they don't know, you're called to go. So I'm going to give you five tools for you to get to work, all right? So my job as a pastor is to equip you, equip you to do the work of the ministry, all right? You're not saved to fill seats. Like you're saved to lead others to Jesus. You do know that, right? Right? You didn't just get saved to go to church, okay? There you go. So first point, stop going to church. What? Are you serious? Stop going to church. Like, isn't this a church? Isn't this what we are supposed to do? Isn't this what you told me to do last week in my community, in that community sermon for you to stop, for, for us to be connected into church? So stop going to church. See, I do tell you that, but maybe I don't. Yes and no. I'm confusing sometimes. I don't even know. I just make it up as I go. That's not true. <laughs> this is deliberate. I want you to stop going to church. And the reason being is if all you do, if, if you I want you to stop going to church and I want you to start being the church, okay? You weren't just saved to fill seats. I want you to 
understand that God has a purpose for you and that we need to be the church, okay? And so we need to stop going to church and we need to start being the church. And what this looks like for us is different, all right? So maybe you wake up at 6 a.m. and you head to work and you work in an office or you work at a plant or a refinery, right? And you work all day long and then you come home and you kiss your wife and you got kids to feed and by the time it's over, like you're covered in spaghetti and you got to get the kids bathed and by the time you hit the, you get to bed, your day's over, or maybe you're a college kid, right? And so you're, you know, maybe you're still in school. So you wake up Tuesday, Thursday, it comes early. 8 a.m. comes early. Every other day, waking up at the crack of lunch. So you wake up and you go to school and you wait tables as a side job or you're a barista, right? So all your friends are going on dates and they're having fun and you're up at 3 a.m. breaking down covalent bonds. And so you're like, how do I live on mission? I would say for you to be the church, Wherever you're at in your day in, day out life, by living the authentic life with gospel intentions, that's how we are to do it. By living our day in, day out life with gospel intentions. And so for us, that means some of, we need to stop going to church and be the church. And what I mean by this is if all we do, we, you notice at Redemption, we don't do a whole lot. Okay, we do two things really right now. Sunday mornings and missional communities. Like that's all we do as a church. Okay, so people come up to me and they say, well, Byron, do y'all have Wednesday night? Nope. Do y'all have Sunday school? Nope. Do y'all have underwater basket weaving small group? Nope. We don't, <laughs> if you notice, like we don't do any of that stuff. We're very intentional with this and how we spend and steward our time. Because if all we do is go to church, we're never gonna reach anybody who's not saved. If all we do is go to church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, five nights a week, we're surrounded by Christians. How are you ever gonna make a difference? And so we, we try to teach you to live missionally. And so what would it look like? And instead of we, we went to all of these meetings, what if what we did was we went out to eat? And we invited people who don't know Jesus to spend the time with us. What would it look like for us to become a regular at a convenience store? And we went to the same cashier. We went to the same place every day. Gospel intentions. That if we surrounded ourselves in community to live on mission for him. Totally flips the paradigm on us. That's how we can reach others. By stop going to church and start being the church. Number two. Radical hospitality. All right, so when I say the word hospitality, some of you guys, you automatically think placemats. Home garden has wrecked the word for us. Others of you, you think old Christians drinking coffee out of styrofoam cups. And so that's what you think of when you think hospitality. Both have hijacked the word. What hospitality really means is opening your heart and opening your home to others, to the outsiders, to the strangers, to the people who are far from God, inviting them into your life. Hospitality means opening your heart and opening your home to those who do not know, follow, or serve Jesus. And so what we do is we tell you, come over to our house, eat dinner with us. And so while some people may not follow Jesus, you can ask them, you're like, hey, come out to eat with us. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. Do you love tacos? Like, yeah, I love tacos. And so like, use tacos for the glory of God. And so lead them to Jesus and sit down, learn their story, listen to their names, listen to their perspective on life, and then be ready to serve them and also to share the gospel, all right? And so when it comes to hospitality, it's opening our home, it's opening our hearts, but you need to understand it's also opening our mouths, we have to share the good news of Jesus. And we don't just need to sit there for 10 years and buy them muffins and say, I hope one day they get to, they ask me why I'm doing all of this. No, 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 no. Just sit down and listen to their story and then tell them yours. You got to open your mouth though. And we have to be bold and passionate and open our mouths when it comes to sharing the gospel. And so people are like, well, I don't know how to do that. It's very simple. I'll give you two quick tips. All right. Ask somebody, can I pray for you? People even if they don't believe in God, they're like, oh, I'll take some prayer. So what can I pray for you? Well, my mom's sick, my car broke down. You know, I got some stuff that I'm really working through. Okay, cool. And then take that very moment and don't say, okay, I'll pray for you and go home. Actually, put your hand on the shoulder or not, depending on if they have problems. But personal space, space invaders. So just put your hand on the shoulder and say, hey, dear Jesus, I pray for them. You know, don't pray the Shekinah glory down on them, but just say like, Lord, <laughs> Lord, help them. And then circle back around a week or two later and say, hey, how's that going? 
and to be like, hey, uh, I was reading my Bible this week and I thought this might encourage you. It's really simple. It doesn't have to make it very complicated. Another way to do it is just by sharing your story. Say, this is who I was. This is how Jesus saved me. And this is who I am now because of Jesus. Like people can practice apologetics, which are great, which are good. You need to do that. People can argue with you, philosophy, theology, all those things. People cannot argue with the testimony. Just tell them what Jesus has done. Practice radical hospitality. Number three, get a job. I didn't get a lot of response. Get a job. All right. Our college kids are like, job? What's that? So get a job. All right. Work as witness. The number one mission field for most of us is our jobs. All right. You're with these people 40, 70 hours a week. Okay. You spend more time with them than your family. And so God has placed you in that position so you can lead others to Jesus. Praise God for your job. And so how do we work as witness? So um, one guy who recently met Jesus, uh, met Jesus uh, Martin Luther met a guy. Okay, Martin Luther met a guy. He lived a long time ago. Martin Luther met him and he said, I just met Jesus. How do I follow the Lord? Luther said, what do you do for a living? He said, I make shoes. And he said, just make good shoes. Like that's how we can serve the Lord, by just doing a good job, by showing up to work, by serving others, by praying for your boss, and by just doing a good job. And so we can use work as our witness to reach others. Number four, live in community. So a lot of people, what we do is we come to church and we're like, okay, yeah, church, church. It's awesome. It's good. It's like a pep rally. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be good. We get filled up and then we head out and we just fail because it, we're doing it alone. Right, so we treat church as this consumer model to where we say, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then we head out and we live life alone. See, Jesus never sent his disciples out alone. He always did it in communities. And so we need to be connected into a community to experience everything that Jesus has for us. Lastly, number five is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That it's not, it's not your power that does it. It's not your power that accomplishes the mission. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And so you see like a kite, right? Anybody get kids playing with kites? You see a kite and it goes up in the sky and then the kite's on the ground, it has no power. Why? Because it has no wind. Or you're like a kite. When you meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit... That's how it works, that the Holy Spirit empowers you to do the work of the ministry. And so we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit makes us bold. The Holy Spirit gives us the passion to accomplish the mission. And so we need to pray and ask and seek and know that Jesus changes lives, that Jesus has lived, that Jesus has died. Jesus has rose from the grave. We have a great purpose. We have a great mission. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to accomplish that mission together. And so for us as a church, I need you to know that people need to know who Jesus is. We need to have a heart for the lost as a church. That people need to know who Jesus is, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that he conquered death, and that he forgives us of our sins, no matter who we are or what we have done. No matter where we're at in our lives, he is there welcoming us, calling us home. That Jesus' grace is better than anything we're seeking. His beauty is better than anything we desire. His purpose is greater than any of our pleasures that we've sought after. That Jesus forgives. People need to know. People need to go where Jesus leads. They need to know that this life has a purpose, that you were created for a meaning, that this is not an accident. People need to do what Jesus says to recognize we have not lived as we ought to, that we have sinned, that we, have, we are bent, we are crooked. People need to show the world that freedom is here. And when you know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, there's a boldness, there's a passion, there is a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Because you know that you're not alone. People need to know that he is with you. That when you are lost, he is with you. When you are hurting, he is with you. Think about this. He is with you. Hurting, he is with you. When you are broken, he is with you. You're not alone, church. He is with us. And so there are people today who are going to be baptized. But first, we've got a challenge for you. Everybody knows somebody who does not know Jesus, right? So here's my challenge to church. I want us to have 
a heart for the lost. As a church, a heart for the lost. That Jesus still has a mission for us. So my challenge for us is this. Take out uh, the note the note on your phone, the notes on your phone or a piece of paper, post-it note, something, and write down the name of three people that you know who do not follow Jesus. And then commit to praying for them for the rest of the year. Three people, names that you, you know. And commit to praying for them for the rest of the year. But don't only just commit to it, reorient your life to serve them. Invite them for dinner. Go hang out with them. Spend time with them. Reorient your life so that they can come to know Jesus. Now see, there's going to be people who are going to follow the Lord in baptism today and that they have made a public declaration that I love Jesus. I want the world to know that Jesus has changed my life. And so when you see them, you see everything that, 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 that they're stepping into as they step into those waters of baptism. And you see that. But what you don't see is you don't see the months of prayers you don't see the months of invitations. You don't, see, you don't see the praying grandparents who have spent years, sometimes decades, on their knees before the Lord in fasting and prayer. What you don't see is the 3 a.m. conversations. What you don't see is the coffee, the questions, the doubts, the wrestling. You don't see that. You gotta know that there is a story and Jesus has invited them to step into that story as they step into the waters of baptism. So we're gonna celebrate with them that they have a better story to tell now and that Jesus has changed their lives forever. And we're gonna celebrate and it's gonna be awesome. So we're gonna cheer, we're gonna freak out in the glory of God, right? But maybe today you're saying, I want this life. This is why I was created. That purpose, it's this, it's this. That, that passion you're looking, this is it. The meaning and existence for all of your life, it's this. To live for something greater than yourself. To glorify God in all things. And to share the good news with others. To join God in the renewal of all things by making disciples who make disciples. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.